Okay, we're in Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 1. So the intent of Proverbs, as we're digging in, it is not simply a how-to manual on life. Uh, it's not just how you balance your checkbook or have a successful business or, or how you just figure things out so life isn't hard and life is easy for you. Uh, one of the easy things to do with Proverbs, because there are commands and things in it, is to default to a message that says, try harder, think smarter, balance your checkbook better, and your life will be fine. And the problem with all of that is we can do absolutely all of that without the cross of Jesus Christ. That is a life that can be very nice and look very good and have no forgiveness for sins mentioned, have the love of God omitted, and really is just about us being Americans, doing American life as American as we can. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it needs to be in the context of who Jesus is because first and foremost, we're kingdom citizens. So the intent of Proverbs then is to give us a framework and an understanding of reality that begins with God, and we've seen that over and over and over again in Proverbs, uh, that when we talk about wisdom, we're not just talking about the transfer of information, but we're talking about understanding who God is. Jesus Christ entered into human history to save you from yourself, to free you from your sins, to give you life not just now, but life forever, and that heaven is not just simply a destination, but the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is here and now and goes on forever and is a quality of life. That eternal life isn't just duration, it's quality because it's a life that we have living, knowing, and loving God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so I will contend that Proverbs is more than just knowing how to raise your kids or balance your budget. Not that some of that stuff isn't in there, but all that stuff happens because you understand who God is and who you are in the wake of the reality of who he is. Okay, and so today, uh, we've named the series, Get Wisdom. And today, we have that phrase. Uh, this phrase in Hebrew that really means to acquire, and get a hold of, and take, and can even have a commercial connotation. Do whatever you can, get rid of whatever you can, sell whatever you can, to have wisdom. Now again, that wisdom's not just information, but it's understanding who God is, who you are, and how the world is, and how the world works best. Now here's where we have to be careful. This idea of getting wisdom is fairly practical in a sense. And this may be one of the more practical sermons we've looked at. Uh, but when we, have to, we have to understand that when we get practical, sometimes we say, yes, 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 Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, that's nice, but could you tell me how to fix the problems in my life? Well, if you're looking for me to tell you how to fix the problems in your life apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I don't have anything for you. Wrong church, sorry. However, as Christians, we want to understand every single problem, every single issue, every single thing we need to figure out in life in the wake of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We need to understand everything we have in the reality that if you are a Christian, you are a sinner saved by grace. You didn't do anything to earn his love. You're forgiven and you're loved. Now here's, here's our challenge, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. So if we, if we believe the song, which is true, Jesus paid it all to him I owe, what do we do with that, right? If Jesus paid it all, what do I do with the rest of my life? These are what are called the means of grace. That's a fancy old-timey way to say it. But the means of grace are things that God has given us to walk in his ways, to live for his glory, and to grow in him. And just like we see in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks blessed. If you're walking, pursuing Jesus, that's God's blessing in your life. And there's this odd synergy between God's sovereign role in your life and empowering you to follow Him and you taking the steps towards Him that are inspired by Him, that are a gift from Him, and that every impulse we have to know Jesus more and to love Him more is a gift. It's a gift from God. Now here's our problem. So if we have means with no grace, which is where we can kind of default as Christians. We have, so here's what you do. Here's your Bible. Here's your Bible reading plan. Here's your Christian budget. Uh, here's your 10 steps to dating. Here's your 10 steps to marriage. Here's your 10 steps to parenting. This is how you buy a Christian car and put your Christian bumper sticker on the back. You can do all of those things and not mention Jesus Christ once. You can do all of those things without mentioning one time that you've been set free for freedom in the name of Jesus Christ and you're left with means with no grace. Because here's the amazing thing about pursuing Jesus. As we fall short, as we trip, 
as we stumble, as we do anything, we can't forget how loved and forgiven and accepted you are because of Jesus. How, how much God has you, how, how height nor depth nor powers nor principalities could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's how we exist. That's how we breathe. That's how we live, putting one foot in front of, each, uh, uh, one foot in front of the, the next, knowing that we're loved, accepted, forgiven, and owned by Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And then every step we take is a response. Not just what you do because the guy up front said to do it. Now, we can have grace with no means. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So I'm not going to do anything to pursue Jesus with the rest of my life. I'm not going to spend any of my time trying to get to know him, trying to understand him or his world, because, you know, I, I walked down the aisle, I said a prayer, it was 1965, and it was a good year, and I went on with the rest of my life and didn't do anything for Jesus with the rest of my life. I didn't do anything to respond to God. 87 was a great year to listen to Striper for a minute and make the pledge and I'm going to be a Christian and then never do anything with it at all. And here's the problem. If you hear this truth that I've been saying that the God of the universe entered into history, human history to save you from yourself and you can't do anything to earn that love but you hear about Him and you meet Him and you know Him and then you risk, live the rest of your life like you never met Him or you never saw Him or you never knew Him, I'm concerned that you never did. Because how in the world can you look at the beauty and the glory of the person of Jesus and then say, that's nice, I'll sign the line on fire insurance and I'll just keep living the rest of my life the way I was already living the rest of my life. Because that ends up being grace with no means. Means with no grace is a life lived like you were never saved. It's a life without salvation. It's a life like you're living, like that wonderful, amazing thing never happened because you're still trying to earn God's love and do things according to a program. Grace, with no means, however, is a life without sanctification. It's a life without pursuing God. It's a life that's not going to be changed by the reality of the gospel. And my hope for us, as we dig into this text, as we look at getting wisdom, we say that there is a life pursuing God in all that He is and understanding the reality of the universe more and more. And this is a means of grace. This is a gift to us and will continue to change us every day. Because the more you know Jesus, the more you change. The more you know Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more you love Jesus, the more you want to respond to Jesus, and the more you understand. I'm not responding to Jesus. I'm not setting my alarm to get up to read my Bible and talk to the God of the universe uh, because I need to do it so that he will love me. I'm going to set my alarm because I believe with confidence that God is going to meet me. I'm going to go down to my office, I'm going to make some coffee, and the God of the universe is going to sit there as I open his word and talk to me. And that when I talk to him, guess what he hears? Okay? That is our introduction. It needs to be a bit lengthy because when we get into this get wisdom stuff, so much, it is our, it is our default mode to just hear, I need to make a list of things to do and start doing them. Do not hear that. Okay, so how do we get wisdom? Three things we're going to look at. Number one, get wisdom. It's here. It's punchy. He says it. We should listen to him. Uh, get wisdom. Uh, he's going to tell us to do three things. So get wisdom. Number one, get it. Uh, number two, hold on to it once you got it. And number three, don't get evil. Again, a little, a little plain, maybe not the, uh, I don't have the three uh, points that all have the same first letter, but it's what the Bible says, so we'll go with the Bible instead of my clever three things with the same letter at the beginning so that you can remember what I'm saying. So here we go. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Get wisdom. Okay, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Uh, again, one of the huge literary devices of Proverbs. They're Primarily written by Solomon, not all of them are written by Solomon, but a, one of the major literary devices we hear again and again and again is a father discipling his son and understanding what reality actually is, who God actually is, and what it means to grow in an understanding of that reality. Now, of course, this doesn't just mean it's for dads and sons. Yeah, it's for dads and sons, 
But it's for everybody. It's for everybody who's following Jesus. It's the literary device and the discipleship tool we're using. Hear, O sons, the Father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. He's using all these different words. Understanding, insight, wisdom for this framework of reality that we need to understand. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. So he's talking about being a, a little kid, hanging out with his dad. He's a little kid. His dad loves him. His mom loves him. Nice. He taught me and said to me, let your heart, heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Now what's important here is, is again, a reminder of what Christian community actually looks like. This is called discipleship. Uh, 1 Timothy, or pardon me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Timothy, take what I gave to you and give it to somebody else who's going to give it to somebody else. That is our life as Christians. That is what we're to do. We're take, to take the gospel and the teaching and the Bible and we take it and we learn it and we respond to it and we give it to other people. We're going to give it to other people and we're going to give it to other people. And this is so important every time we come to one of these things because it's the great grand reminder in your discipleship as you're walking with other people, the point is not you. This thing doesn't stop with you. This thing is about Jesus. I think a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about discipleship and what it is for us to make disciples, I made mention, all the people that God put in my life as I was on my way to him, so many of them, I couldn't tell you their names. And you know what I really couldn't tell them? I couldn't tell them the names of the people that discipled them and told them about Jesus. And I most certainly couldn't tell you about the people who told them who told them. And, and the reality is, as time continues to go on, and we are gone, and Anchor Church blows into the wind 100 years from now, uh, if there are people who are still connected to this community and this thing that's happening right now in this room right now, who love Jesus because of you and what God is doing in your life right now, you and I will probably be forgotten on that particular chain. But whose name will not? Jesus, that is right. Somebody's awake out there. I appreciate that. Jesus will not be forgotten all this. And you know what? I don't care. I'm going to be at home with Jesus by then. And I'm going to be pretty happy being at home with Jesus. I'm pretty happy that people are still learning about Jesus from people who've learned about Jesus. There's people who've learned about Jesus. People have learned about Jesus. And it cannot be stopped. So we keep going. So this is a discipleship situation. And this is what he says. Hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom. Acquire wisdom. Get after it, kiddo. Right? Because it's a dad talking to a son. Get after it. Get wisdom. What else do you get? Get insight. Get wisdom. Get insight. Uh, this word insight is from uh, a particular word that is, is related to the word that means between. Uh, and so insight is the ability to discern good from bad, right from wrong, light from dark. How much do we want people who are walking with and teaching about Jesus to be able to discern from the things of God and the things that are not of God? How much do we want our kids to be able to discern from evil and from good? And, and that, that, that though we live in a time and a place where we have to ask the sort of Pontius Pilate question again and again, well, what is good? I think the reality is it doesn't take long to live with your eyes open on planet Earth. There is good, there is bad, there is right, and there is wrong. It was one of the most compelling things that a Christian told me when I was not a Christian. I believe in good, I believe in bad, I believe in right, I believe in wrong. But that's because I'm a Christian. That was fresh, being a young punk rock kid in Seattle. You know, like somebody actually believes in right and wrong. Not just, you know, I watched Patton this week. That was the first one I thought of. You know what I mean? Like, we're not just, it's not just traditional people. It's not just people 50 years ago who believe in right and wrong. Because there's right and wrong in the world. Son, daughter, People, grow, get wisdom, get understanding, understand how the world works, and understand that there is good and bad. There is right and wrong. There is good and evil. Get wisdom, get under, understanding. Do not forget and do not turn away. He does this a few times in Proverbs. Don't forget, that's passive. Don't just sort of let right and wrong slip by. You sort of, your, 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 your morals erode. You understanding who Jesus is just sort of erodes. It just sort of washes away. Don't forget. But not just that. 
What else does he say? Where'd it go? Um, do not turn away. Don't let it erode, but also actively. Don't actively turn from the things I'm teaching you and telling you right now. From the words of my mouth. That's personal, right? These aren't, these aren't just lofty ideas. These are things, they're in the car. My son and I, with Grandpa, we're working on stuff this weekend. We're pulling out railroad ties, and we're driving to the dump, right? And we're talking, and we're doing life, and things that Grandpa Jerry, Grandpa Jerry tells me things from his mouth, and I tell things to my son. From, they're from us personally. They're things that we're actually saying. They're not just lofty ideas floating out in the internet somewhere. It's me talking to him, and Grandpa Jerry, my wife's uh, dad talking to me, and it's wisdom, and it's personal. You see that? You need to understand that. That it's not just something floating out there, or something Oprah said somewhere, or something someone heard that Oprah said somewhere, and then they misquote on the radio, and you're like, that's really good. It's something that, that, that comes from actual personal experience of doing life, following, and pursuing Jesus. It's personal. He's saying that to his son. Don't forget what I'm saying. He's been in the battle that is life. He's been there, and he's saying, don't forget what I'm telling you. Do not forsake her. Uh, again, uh, wisdom's personified as lady wisdom in Proverbs. It's a literary device. Do not has sort of a personal feeling to it. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Get wisdom. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Now hear this. Verse 7. This, by the way, may be one of the most important verses in the whole book. It's a very simple verse. The grammar is almost hard. It's so simple. Uh, get, oh, pardon me, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. What does that mean? You want to grow in understanding who God is? Get after it. Open your Bible. Start reading it. You, you want to get some wisdom? Start getting some wisdom. You know what the wisest thing you can do? Is say, I want to get some wisdom, and I'm going to start getting after it. One of the best things you can do today, right now, is say, I want to know Jesus more. Great. I don't care if you've never read it or you've read it a thousand times. Go home, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, start reading. You want some wisdom? Start reading your Bible. Did you read 1 John yesterday? Read it again. Keep getting after it. Keep going. Keep pursuing Him. Keep pursuing relationships with godly people who will continue to tell you the truth of who Jesus is. You want to get wisdom? The most wise thing you can do in getting wisdom is get wisdom. It seems sort of simple, but it's so true. I mean, we're even really good as Americans. We can even... You know, I could give you the plan on how you're going to get some wisdom, and you could go home, and you could make a spreadsheet, you could put it in your calendar tomorrow at 8 a.m., going to get some wisdom, and then your phone's going to remind you, hey, get some wisdom, it's 8 a.m., and we can, we can have this whole plan. And as the church, we're even pretty good at, like, okay, so it's, we're gonna, you're going to have this discipleship relationship, and you have the structured phone call with somebody, and they're going to do, hey, man, get some coffee with someone who knows more than you and start listening. Try it. <laughs> Turns out when you sit down with someone who knows more than you, you quickly realize you don't know as much as you thought you know, and it's good to just keep your mouth shut and listen and ask some questions. Right? And, and, and hear this. This is about way more than getting some information. You have Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia can't tell you what it's like to be, uh, you know, 15 years in uh, to having kids or into marriage or into a job or this is the job you have and how to handle it in the gospel. How do, you actually, how do you actually do the thing where you understand that Jesus is your boss? First Corinthians, or Corinthians or, uh, pardon me, uh, Colossians. Work is under the Lord. Okay, well, maybe I've got a job and I don't know what it looks like to work for Jesus because my boss is rude all the time. And it's my job. And I'm not just going to walk away because i got kids to take care of. Right? Maybe that's you. Maybe somebody else in the church has a boss that's rude to them too. <laughs> right? Maybe somebody's been through something 
or, or knows intimately what it's like to be some, through something you're going through and you get that coffee and you sit with them and you hear from them. Now, how do I do that understanding that Jesus is the king, loving God, loving others? How do I honor God? How do I honor that boss who is belittling to me in front of all my coworkers all the time? How do I do that? And you know what? Maybe sitting there with coffee with them, they're not going to give you the 10 steps and all of a sudden your boss is going to stop belittling you. Maybe they're going to teach you better how to pray for that guy or understand something. I don't know because that's not really my spot. But there's wisdom to be had and wisdom comes from experience and life and doing life. But here's the deal to be any wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you do. Hear hear (laughs) Hear that? And whatever you do. If you don't do anything else, get insight. There's that word again. That ability to discern between good and evil. Get a hold of it. Get it. Hang on to it. And then hear what it says about it. So once you've got that wisdom, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you and embrace you. She will, again, literary device. She will place you at the head of a great, uh, on your head a grateful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Get after wisdom. Get wisdom. So how do we actually do that, right? How do we get practical? And remember, this is means of grace stuff. I'm not giving you a to-do list. I'm saying here's some practical tools, rules. Yeah, tools, not rules. There we go. Dumb rhyme. I know. I can never think of anything that's not tools, not rules, that doesn't rhyme. But there we go. These are things to put in your hands as a means of grace to grow in the gospel, not things that you have to go out and do tomorrow. You can't go out and do it tomorrow. They'll be free, right? you got to ask yourself, am I positioned in life to receive wisdom? We are Americans. There are a lot of awesome things involved in being Americans, like the fact that I'm standing up here saying Jesus saves sinners, and I can do that. That is awesome, and we should be thankful for that every day. We also love individuality. We love DIY. We love do-it-yourself. Not do-it-yourself in community, do-it-yourself by yourself. You don't need anybody or anything because you're an American and that's how you roll. right? That's what we do. That's why we have Wikipedia. I don't want to have to go to the library and deal with a librarian. I don't want to have to deal with anybody to ask to borrow their encyclopedia. I just want to turn on my telephone because it's 2015 and download a bunch of information that I'm an expert on Ulysses S. Grant. Good for me. And I did it all by myself. Uh, we are Americans. And, and Even some of that can be commended, but in terms of getting wisdom, man, there are people who are wiser than me and wiser than you who you can actually spend some time with and listen to and grow and learn. And so you got to ask yourself, am I positioned to get wisdom? There, There are so many, oh man, there are so many awesome books written by guys who died like 200 years ago. Um, you know, John Owen, he's a bad dude. He is awesome. Mortification of sin. You get the abridged version that's put in modern English, and that guy will help you figure out, man, I've got some sin I want to repent of and I want to turn from. And, and not, I'm not saying don't get the copy with someone. I'm saying there are also people who can help you that have died a long time ago. Richard Sibbs. Apparently, Richard Sibbs in England was so known for his preaching of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ that guys who are really hard sinners stayed away from this church because they had friends who were really hard sinners who went in there and got saved. And so they said, I'm staying away from Richard Sibbs because I don't want to be a Christian. No thank you. And so they go around his church, or so they say. Right? Hey, man, maybe you're having that day where you're feeling hard up, and you are like, yeah, uh, you know, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. The reality is, that's not your job. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who loves you. He's the one that pronounces you forgiven. He's the one that says it's finished, not you. And maybe you need Richard Sibbs to remind you about the truth about who Jesus is. And maybe reading books by dead guys just ain't your thing. And that's okay, too. Read your Bible. (laughs) That's a good book. It's actually written by dead guys. But it's a really (laughs) grand and great book. Who are alive together with Christ. Yes. But, But you have to ask yourself, am I positioned to receive wisdom? There's an external and an internal. Am I making room in my life for relationships? Am I making room in my life to read my Bible? Am I making room in my life to read Richard Sibbs or find something better to do, listen to Christian music and let Andrew read Richard Sibbs? Um, am I positioned externally? Am I positioned 
internally. Are you willing to learn? Are you waiting for your turn to talk? Are you willing to spend time with people and listen? Do you have your listening ears? Not just here. I got lights on me and a microphone, right? When you have coffee with that person who think you think can actually help you with that boss, are you just quick to tell them how, you, how smart you are and how much you've got to figure out he's going to listen for a while? Is your heart ready to receive what they might tell you? Is your heart ready to be corrected by that person who says, hey, this is a little whack. You should, hey, you do have a bad attitude about your boss. Maybe he's fighting back against you because you think you got everything figured. I don't know. I don't know. It's you, right? Like, I don't know what your stuff is. Uh, I'm not the sin sniper. I'm not the heart police. Uh, I'm just asking, when you, when you have that time, are you positioned to be changed by the means of grace that is God working through his people telling you the truth? I can't answer that question for you. you got to answer it. Are you positioned? Uh, I think it's even helpful as you're walking with someone, as you're looking at people to walk with, asking some very basic first grade kind of questions. Who, what, and where. Um, who are you listening to? Okay, so cool. They've, they've been a Christian a long time, and their life's a mess. Is that someone you, I mean, all our lives are a mess on one level or another, but I mean, are they growing in the grace of the gospel? Cool, they've been a Christian for 30 years, but are they any gentler? Are they any kinder? Are they any more gracious? Uh, are they any more loving? Some of us are slower than others at these things, as most of us have realized, I think, probably. At least most of us, I, think, at least I always feel like I'm growing slower than I'd like to grow, right? That's reality. Welcome to sanctification. But asking that question, is this, is this someone who's got a faithful walk? When they talk, do they talk Bible? Do they, do they sound like the, and I don't mean, uh, I was once at a wedding, the officiant of the wedding, I was in the wedding, the officiant of the wedding did the whole service in King James English. To thee take thou to be thy wedded bride. I don't mean do they sound like the Bible like that. I mean, when they talk, do they talk grace? Do they talk means of grace? Or they talk spiritual push-ups and try harder? Is the answer, yeah, your life is a mess. You're, you are walking in sin. Now you need to try harder to get out of this. Or, yeah, you're right, and Jesus Christ has died on the cross to save you from yourself and give you life. Turn from your sin and turn to him. Turn to life. Do they sound like the Bible when they're talking? Who are you listening to? We got a, a whole, I mean, we live in the internet age, right? There are 10 million people with blogs who want to tell you how to live. You can just get on your phone and hear about it, right? But are these people who are godly people? Are these people who are listening to Jesus themselves? Again, what are they telling you? Is it Bible? Is it gospel? Test it. Test me. Test anyone preaching here. Test your community group leader. Test your Bible study leader. Test people you're studying the Bible with, and I don't mean in a neat, nicky way where you're waiting for them to mess up. We mess up. We're human beings. But I mean, when they, is it a consistent message? Jesus saved sinners. You've been saved from sin to life. Now live. Is that the kind of consistent thing that you're hearing? And, and again, just checking, where are you? Where are you in life? There, there's some chronological stuff. You know, if you're a, a young person who'd like to, to be a parent or get married, like that's not the time to sit someone who is a parent or is married and tell them all the, the parenting tips you have for them, right? Understand chronologically where you are on the spectrum as you're receiving wisdom, okay? And, and I think of these means of grace as we try and grow in wisdom, as we try and grow in this understanding of the universe and who Jesus is, uh, kind of come down to three big ones. And it's probably not limited to these, but these are kind of three big uh, big tents here. So spiritual disciplines, spiritual formation, and spiritual observation. Here are three ways, I think, in which God, means of grace, God's given us to grow in understanding him. Spiritual disciplines. We're in Seattle, so we don't like the word discipline. Disciplines where you set your alarm and get out of bed to read your Bible. Uh, now, I'm not saying that'll save you, because that would be works theology. I'm just saying if you don't set your alarm and you leave your house late for work every day, you'll never get in the word. Uh, I'm saying if there's that pattern... Maybe you just need to set the thing 10 minutes earlier uh, if you actually want to read your Bible and pray a little bit before you get to work. There's some discipline, right? Read your Bible. I mean, it's so simple and so basic, right? Talk to God. 
It's called prayer. He's listening. He's interceding for you. He's there for you. Uh, as Johnny Cash once said, uh, his secretary never says that he's called away. Uh, and he says, I talk to Jesus every day. Because that's reality. Isn't that bizarre that we can go a week or two without talking to Jesus Christ, and yet he's there? You don't have to open your mouth to talk to him? Goodness gracious. It's a gift. It's not feel bad. It's not pray so you'll be saved. It's you're saved, so pray. God has given you his word. You don't read your Bible to get saved. You read your Bible because you are saved. There's simple things you can do. So it's February 15th. So some of us, don't raise your hand. Some of us may have started a new Bible reading plan on the first of the year. And here on February 15th, you may be a little behind. Nervous laughter. <laughs> and so you can feel bad, and you can say, well, i got to get back, and now i gotta, I got to double up, and I'm in Genesis 7, 8, 9, 10, and i got to keep going, and, and i got to get there. Here's the deal. If you read your Bible, starting anywhere in your Bible, four chapters a day, which isn't a lot, by the way, you will get through the whole thing, even if you miss some days, you will get the whole, through the whole Bible in a year. I'm not telling you you have to. I'm telling you, if you want some wisdom, read your Bible. And maybe your Bible reading plan doesn't work. Maybe you got kids. Maybe you got work. Maybe stuff happens and you forget. Or the time of day is wonky. You got a Bible on your... I will bet you five bucks if I did make you raise your hand. You got a Bible on your phone. <laughs> Nervous laughter. And I'll bet you spend at least enough time to read four chapters of the Bible on your phone doing something else. Laughter stops. You don't do it to earn God's love, but man, don't you want to hear from God? Don't you want to hear the God of the universe? Don't you want to hear Jesus Christ talk to you? And you can even tell people, Jesus talked to me on my phone. <laughs> I don't do jokes. I say them out loud in the middle of my sermon, and then I say them like, and now I can't take that back. I said it, and it's out there. But these are means of grace, and I would even encourage you, meditate on who God is. Very simple, very simple. And we're in Seattle, so we don't like words like discipline. We like words like meditate, but we get the word meditate wrong. Here's a very simple Christian meditation, a way to put your mind on Jesus. So you got your, your Bible, and you start, and you're wherever, okay? So you're, where, you're wherever. Like, I'm not, I don't have a bookmark, right? I have bookmarks, but not here. So you read whatever this week. You read Philippians. Oh, that's easy, but I'll do it anyways. So you read Philippians, and maybe you read Philippians uh, 12, chapter 2. Uh, therefore, this is Paul talking to the Philippians. Uh, therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, so now, not only as I'm in your presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, that's some good stuff right there. You could memorize that. That's good stuff. Now, here's Christian meditation. So we look at a verse like this, and we stop and say, man, what sticks out to me? Man, God is at work in you, in his will to work his will and good pleasure. That's good news, by the way. That's worth setting your alarm. Five no bookmarks, just pulled it out, right? That's worth setting your alarm for. God's at work in you. And, and, and a really simple Christian meditation is to ask this question. What does this show me about God? What does this show me about me? And what does this show me about Jesus? And you take this and say, okay, what does this show me about God? Well, God's at work. That's good news. Well, how about me? I'm not always working out my salvation in fear and trembling. I'm not always leaning into the wind and the reality that God is at work in me. And that's sin, by the way. And that's real. I'm not always attentive to the fact that God is working. and I'm not always leaning into him. I'm often trying to do things in my own strength. And so I look at that, and I look at that closely. And then I ask the question, well, what does Jesus do about it? Well, Jesus has come into human history to forgive me for that sin, to save me from myself and allow me to turn from that sin and turn to the reality that he's at work in me for his will and good pleasure. And so now I take this Christian meditation as I shut my Bible, I get up and I go and I get in my car and I go to work and I kind of come back to it. I try and make that the thing I'm going to come back to in my day. Whatever you're doing, you're with the kids, you're at work, you're at school, whatever you're doing, you're coming back to this idea that God is at work in me because Jesus is at work in me. Praise Lord, or whatever it might be. That's a very simple spiritual discipline 
that helps you take what you started reading and in your prayer and take it on out with you into the rest of your day, right? Why is that important? What does that have to do with wisdom? The more your mind is on Jesus, the more you're going to be awake to who God is, how the world works, and who you are, and that's wisdom. Okay. Spiritual formation. So that was spiritual disciplines. And there's some, there's some, okay, I'll say this too. Don't type in spiritual disciplines into Amazon and buy whatever you buy there. There is a lot of stuff that's not worth your time and will actually probably be detrimental in terms of what spiritual disciplines are. But there's some really good stuff out there. Um, and I will, I will put those up on the old internets. But um, Donald S. Whitney, if you only buy one, Donald S. Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines is a very good book. And he's going to beat the drum of spiritual disciplines. He's like, I don't know, reading your Bible and praying. So if you want to read a book on spiritual disciplines, uh, Donald Whitney is very, very good. He's a prophet, Southern Baptist Seminary uh, in Kentucky. Okay, so spiritual disciplines, uh, spiritual formation. So two, two big things about getting wisdom in terms of spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is actually spending other time, time with other people who help you be formed in the gospel. Okay? I know, meditation, spiritual. We're actually people who believe that God's alive, so we, we use words like this. Um, so discipleship, actually spending time with someone who's going to pour into you, but also spiritual friendship. By that I mean people who love Jesus, who you spend time with in an unstructured way, with an aim that you actually point each other to Jesus. Okay, here's the trouble. You can have friends. They're your buddies. They're Christians. You know they love Jesus. And you guys skeet shoot together. You bass fish. You skateboard. You're in a punk rock band. I don't care what you do. But we can be in this place where we have these relationships, and we know they're safe relationships because our friends are Christians, but we don't ever actually pray for each other. We don't share our struggles. We don't talk about Jesus. We don't point out what God is doing in our lives. And so then you have this awesome thing that is basically a Christian friendship, but there's nothing Christian about it. It's safe. You know, it's not going to get weird or whatever, hopefully. And, and, I, and I'm just saying, if, you got, if you're on the, in your truck, on your way to the skate park or the skeet shooting thing or whatever, I try and use random examples. What are you reading in your Bible today? Here's what Jesus is teaching me. I could use prayer for this. I'm really struggling here, and I could really use prayer. And you're driving in the truck, and you have this awkward conversation. You're talking about sports or the news or whatever, and you're like, well, you know, but I don't want to be that guy. Why not? Why not? I think most of us who are Christians love, if you have them, or long for them if you don't, vibrant relationships with other people who point you to Jesus. Am I right? right? Maybe that's just me. But these things, these spiritual friendships, they help form us. And when you actually have friends who are pointing you to Jesus, it helps you grow in wisdom. Are you with people who are going to be able to help you get wisdom? And not just information, but wisdom about the world and who, how it is and who God is. Finally, uh, spiritual observation. So you take what you did personally in your spiritual listen, you take what you've done corporately and communally and in community, and then you actually put some lenses on, and you become an observer of life from the point of view of the Bible. You understand who you are. You understand what the world is. You understand what Seattle is and what's awesome about it and what's not, and what, what, what Seattle's got going on that's great and what Seattle needs, and, and how you can even be an ambassador of grace to the city so we, we take what we've learned from our Bible and in prayer and from relationships and community. And then we actually start making observations about the world in which we live that needs Jesus so desperately and Christians who are going to be faithful to him as they operate in the world. As we operate with wisdom. Verse 10. Oh man. Hear my son and accept my words. The years, the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. So what happens when you have wisdom? You have the observational skills to discern right from wrong and to live in wisdom. This is his hope and even what he's kind of saying to his son, right? Here's our verse, 13. Keep hold of instruction. <laughs> 
work also translate discipline uh, in a pretty reasonable way. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Remember we read back up in verse 4 or 5? We're not going to let it erode. We're not going to actively turn away from it. So you get the wisdom and you hang on to it. You understand who God is, who you are, and how the way the world works. And you hang on to it and you don't let go. You don't let go. You don't let the cultural temperature sway you. You don't let the cool friend convince you, the cool friend. Like, oh, that's for middle schoolers. Well, maybe. People are pretty swayed. We're pretty swayable if we're not rooted in the gospel. You you ask simple questions. Is that consistent? Kind of what we were talking about. You you hold on. You you check yourself. Are are these just the things that I want? Are these the things that God actually wants for me? Is the life I'm living a life that's consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is this just what seems convenient, cool, nice, or what other everything you could fill in with that blank? Get topical. And I don't mean uh, sunscreen. I mean that you need to be able to understand your Bible in such a way that you don't just read one verse on a subject and say, well, should I do this? Well, that verse seems to indicate, yes, I should, because that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Next, moving on. We need to be careful. Here's the reality of every human being. We like to hear what we want to hear. You want to move into a house? into a neighborhood that maybe isn't the best move for whatever reason, whatever it might be. But it's what you want to do. And you got a bunch of friends who you say, yeah, you should do that. You want to go to a school, you want to move, you want to do whatever the thing. I'm just trying to be whatever it is. Oftentimes we're quick. If we can just get some people to say, yeah, do that thing you want to do, we say, yeah, I should do the thing. You guys are geniuses. Friends tell you you're smart. You're right, I am smart. You guys are awesome. We like to hear what we want to hear and oftentimes don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. Right? We're, we can be the best salesman to ourselves. We can whip ourselves up into a frenzy and believe whatever we want to believe, surround ourselves with yes persons who tell us whatever we want to hear. And that's fine if it's a good thing. God's given you a new heart. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you biblical decision-making skills. Maybe you take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to his word. Run it through the filter of what he's actually got for you and trust him. Have godly friends who are, nothing makes me feel safer than a godly friend that when I propose an idea gives me a biblical reason why it's a bad idea. I feel safe there. Not just they don't like the idea. They actually have a reason from the scriptures. Get wisdom and hold on to it. Get those friendships and hold on to it. Get a biblical understanding and don't let it go and don't let it atrophy. And here we go. Don't get evil. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it and do not go on it. You need discernment to be able to know to stay off that path, by the way. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it and do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And now here's talking about overtly wicked people. Verse 16. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. It's a little hyperbolic, but he's trying to get the point across. For they cannot sleep. They got the itch. They got to do something wrong. They got to while out somehow. They are robbed from sleep unless they have made someone stumble. And by the way, in this case, this is a dad saying, that's you. That's you. There are people who want you to stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is deep, is like deep darkness. They do not know the way they stumble. Um, again, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay? Because reality is, is that in our best imaginations, we are faithful people. Uh, when we think of a scenario that might go down, we, we can often imagine ourselves as the, the greatest, most faithful, awesome, generous, kind, fill-in-the-blank people. 
The reality is, the reality is, is that typically as human beings, now I'm going to say typically asterisk because Jesus does awesome things, and I can point to a thousand stories like this in the Bible. We don't rise to the occasion. We fall back on our training. Here's what I mean by that. If you've lived a life where you haven't been faithful to God, where you haven't spent time in prayer, and you haven't spent time in your word, and someone brings an objection to you about the Bible, and you don't know your Bible, chances are you are not going to construct the greatest apologetic to dismantle that ever. Uh, Chances are, if you're not in God's word, and you're not in community, and someone comes to you and says, so you're a Christian, so tell me about this Jesus guy and you don't spend any time getting to know this Jesus guy, don't expect that necessarily to be the time. Now, the Holy Spirit does wild stuff. I've been in situations where I feel God moving in my life, and I find myself rising to the challenge, even though I'm way over my head. At the same time, He has given you ordinary means to discern that path of light. It's called the Word. It's called Christian community. It's called prayer. Don't expect to rise to the occasion just because you've imagined it in your head. God has given you normal means to discern right from wrong. Read your Bible. Get wisdom. Stay close to Jesus. We have to be aware, as this text points out, Jesus has called us to be light in the darkness. He's called you and me to be light. Why are you light? John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Why are you the light of the world? Because Jesus is the light of the world. If you're a Christian, you belong to him. That's what makes you light. Now, he gives us warnings. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket or under a bed or in the closet or out in the hall. Actually, put it on a stand to give light to all in the house. This dad is warning his kid this literary situation. You need to remember who is on mission to whom. Who is trying to evangelize whom. You are sent as ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need wisdom, you need insight, and you need to go because we don't just hang out in this hall forever. Right? you got to go to work tomorrow, or you got to go to school tomorrow, or you got to... Hang out with your kids tomorrow. You've got to do whatever you've got to do tomorrow. Right? And you're going to interact with people. And you need to know that everyone's an evangelist. Whether the sushi evangelist or the Buddhist evangelist or the motocross evangelist or whatever. Everyone's going to try and get you into their thing. And you're sent on mission to get them not into your thing but into Jesus' thing. And what we need as we go in that is wisdom, is insight that comes from Jesus, understanding who he is and who we are. That's the thing that allows us to be winsome and gracious and generous as we do evangelism. That's the thing that's going to empower us to see that road leads down to destruction, this road leads to light, and I can't go all the way down that road to destruction with this person I want to meet Jesus. We don't evangelize geographically everywhere. So you're picking up what I'm putting down. Geographically, I mean, there are just places. Geographically, Seattle. I'll explain it instead of just leaving it hang. Yeah, this is Seattle. There are places Christians don't go in Seattle. There's no one we don't want to meet Jesus in Seattle. There's no one we won't evangelize to Seattle. But there are places that are just dangerous and even lead to death for you here in Seattle. And so we need to be wise, right? Because that's, that's a lot trickier as we're doing life. It's a lot trickier to understand how to do evangelism here. It's a wacky place. We love it. But you've got to figure out, where can I go? How far? Where, is that the road that he's talking about that leads to death? Because I need to follow the road that leads to light. And this honestly takes wisdom. It takes insight. It takes understanding. And all this takes the lens. We have to ask ourselves, what, what is our final lens that we understand this, this world through? That blog you read last week, what you saw on CNN or C-SPAN or NPR or whatever the thing is, fill in the blank, not picking on anyone in particular. Is that the lens we're going to see the world through? 
Is that how we're going to understand how the world is? Or is the lens going to be the lens of wisdom, understanding who Jesus is, who we are, who we are in the wake of who he is, and how we operate in the world? Are we going to understand Jesus for who Jesus is? Am I going to understand me for who I am? Are you going to understand the Christian community in the light of the reality of the gospel? Are we going to understand the world in the wake of the gospel and understanding that Jesus Christ is on the move to save sinners and give them life? I hope so. If you don't know Jesus, I'd implore you to get some wisdom, but the wisdom is not just some information. It's an understanding of how the world is. That the God of the Bible is the God of the universe who made everything out of nothing. He made it good. We broke it. He sent his son to fix it, to save it, to save you from sin to God, from death to life. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Every other religious system is about how you get up to God. The reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ is about how God has come down to get to us, to save us. And there's nothing we can do to get up to Him. So that means it's all gift. It's all of grace. It's all God's grace to you that He would save you from death to life. Which means you cannot earn God's love. You can only receive it. You cannot earn His love. You can only receive it. We turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus and we get saved. We receive Jesus who sets us free for freedom, who will put this world back the way it's supposed to be, who will put us back the way we're supposed to be, who will wipe every tear from every eye for all who believe in Him will be saved. Turn and believe. And if you know Him, what's your lens? How are you seeing and understanding the world? What are you after? Is it wisdom? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to understand who God is and who you are? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to hang on to it? Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Get us fired up for your word. Get us lit up for prayer. Get us fired up to love our neighbors by telling them about who you are. I pray that you would stir in us an understanding and a wisdom for who you are, who we are, and who the world is that would get us lit up for you, that would light us up with a white-hot passion for the reality of who you are, what you've done, the power of your cross, and your power to change this world, and your power to change people, to show them, to teach them that they would grow in understanding and wisdom, that they would know you and love you. Help us, God, to discern right from wrong, good from bad, and let us not do that simply in the terms of the world. But Father, we would do that in the terms of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us. We need you, Lord. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, for your glory and for our joy. Amen.